0: Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China.
1: Hello, I'm Ruth Kirchner. The new law on non-governmental organizations that was passed in China in late April has caused quite a bit of anxiety and concern. International NGOs working in and with China, but also many other organizations, wonder what the new law means for their work in the People's Republic. With me to discuss the foreign NGO management law is Sean Xie, an expert on civil society, formerly the founder and director of China Development Brief, and now deputy director at China Labor Bulletin, an NGO-based in hong kong sean the new ngo law has been described as draconian a step to impose greater control on civil society in a nutshell then what is the law about and what does it mean
0: first of all i I would say that it's perceived as draconian and and certainly the language of it does come off that way but i think we have to uh, be more open-minded about it and take a a wait-and-see attitude and uh, not to overreact to this law I like to call it the overseas NGO law because it's not just aimed at foreign NGOs. Uh, It's also aimed at NGOs that are based in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Macau, which have a different status. They're not foreign. It's a very broad law in the sense that it covers what we think of as NGOs, but that includes many we call non-profit organizations. So conceivably, that could mean many of the private universities in other countries It also means chambers of commerce, it means business associations, trade associations, associations dealing with cultural exchanges, dealing with uh, recreational and uh, sports types of activities, you know, orchestras, uh, theatres, the National Basketball Association, you know, these are all potentially covered under that law.
1: And uh, what does the law mean for them? How do they have to change maybe their dealings with China or how they operate in China?
0: Well, I think most of these organizations, before this law came out, were working in China in a kind of a large gray area. You know, Most of them were not registered. If they had offices, they were not registered as uh, NGOs. Usually, they were registered as uh, a representative office of a company, or they were just not registered at all. They were just working with a Chinese partner. Now, this new law, it says that NGOs have only two legal ways to operate in China. So one is they have to register a representative office, that's one way, with the Ministry of Public Security or the provincial level public security office. The second way is if you don't want to register an office, you just want to carry out activities, then you do what's called filing a record. So in Chinese, that's called beian. So filing a record means you and your Chinese partner file materials. There are certain required materials that they ask you to, to file with public security, And then I think, you know, the way that the law reads is that once you file those activities, then you can go ahead with those activities. There's nothing in the law that says that you have to get approval from public security. But again, I think we need to wait for clarification.
1: But still, I mean, you come under a lot more scrutiny from the Ministry of Public Security. And a lot of organizations are pretty worried about this new law. How do you think uh, it could actually restrict what both um, international NGOs and domestic NGOs can do on the Chinese mainland.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, I think, you know, again, it will all depend on implementation. For example, registering a representative office. I mean, it sounds easy, but the problem is that uh, this current law does not change the way that you register a representative office from the previous regulation. In order to register, you need to find an official sponsor. You need to find what the Chinese call a 业务主管单位, for example, if you're working on environmental issues, you probably should find your supervising or official sponsor should be like somebody with like the Environmental Protection Bureau or, or Ministry. That sounds easy, but then these organizations went to these agencies and asked if they would take responsibility for them. And of course, A lot of these government agencies don't want to take responsibility, especially for some kind of an overseas NGO. So in the past, it's been very difficult for them to find an official sponsor. If you can't find an official sponsor according to this law and according to the previous regulations, then you cannot register with public security. For those NGOs that just want to do activities in China, yes, I mean, this law requires you to be more transparent. You have to report... You have to file these on record materials, you know, reporting materials about your activities, your funding sources. Then, after you finish the activity, you actually you have to file a report about those activities. So, you know, it's a lot of paperwork to fill out, and for some NGOs, that will restrict their activities.
1: Let's talk about some specific types of organizations then i give you some examples and i want really quick answers how you mm-hmm. think these um, organizations might be affected by the new law my first example greenpeace east asia big office in beijing quite high profile in their work do you think they have to sort of maybe step back a bit
0: well i would think i mean you know greenpeace has been able to operate and they have a, like you said quite a large office in china So I I think that they would be one of those organizations that will find a a, a way to register. They've found a way to work in China that seems to be acceptable. So yes, I would say this should be okay.
1: Uh, What about um, organizations that do pure charity work?
0: Again, it should be okay. The question is, if they want to register a representative office, then can they find uh, an official sponsor?
1: What about endowments and political foundations, like some of the German uh, political foundations, Friedrich Ebert uh, Stiftung, uh, Konrad Adenauer Stiftung? Would they come under a lot more scrutiny from the authorities?
0: It depends, because you know I have to wonder, you know, how much time the public security will have to do scrutiny, because they'll be doing so much paperwork. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Maybe they'll have to hire a lot of staff to implement this law, but. Those political foundations, I mean, the question is, do they have good connections maybe in the government, uh, an agency that's willing to, to sponsor them? If so, then it shouldn't be too difficult. And then after that, if they're able to register, of course, then they will be under more scrutiny about their activities.
1: So more hoops to jump through. Then finally, business associations like the European Chamber of Commerce or the American Chamber, would their operations be affected?
0: Potentially they could, because, again, they come under this law as well. I think the law makes a possible exception for educational exchanges, but it's not clear. But, uh, yes, I mean, business associations, uh, chambers of commerce, uh, trade associations, they will have to go through the same procedure.
1: This is Merrick's Experts. With me is Sean Thier, an expert on Chinese civil society and deputy director of the China Labour Bulletin based in Hong Kong. We're discussing the new law on international NGO management. Sean, I, I read a comment in the magazine Sai Jing. Let me quote that to you. The law is the equivalent of putting up a wall between overseas NGOs and the Chinese borders. Without a permit, any contact is prohibited. Is that a fair comment?
0: Not quite. I wouldn't say putting up a wall, but um, it does raise the bar. I think, you know, a lot of organizations, they see this law. It's like somebody throwing a, a big rock off the building, and it's going to land with a huge, you know, thud. But I think what we should think about this law, we should see this law as more like a balloon. you launch the balloon from the building, but it takes time to fall. You don't know where it's going to fall, and different people will try to push the balloon in different directions.
1: So what can um, international organizations do to push that balloon to influence the implementation of the law?
0: Well, first of all I think, you know, they, they need to get more more information because the law goes into effect in January first, twenty seventeen, so next year. They need to get information from public security about what will happen on January first. What procedures will they have to go through before that? Will the public security start to provide services, will they start to open up an office for international NGOs or overseas NGOs? And I expect that they will. But uh, yeah, they still, I think they right now, they start to need to start contacting um, the public security and letting them know they have all these concerns. Uh, so public security people, they should um, be made to, to work just to bother them and let them know that yeah, there's a lot of concern about this law and uh, a lot of areas that are still not answered, a lot of questions that are are still not answered for many overseas organizations.
1: One reason for bringing in these new controls, the Chinese government seemed worried about so-called black hands, people or organizations from abroad working to undermine party rule. Do you see that as one of the main triggers for this new law?
0: My sense is that, first of all, we have to see this as part of uh, also a global trend. I mean, so that this is not just China that is doing this. This is Russia. This is India. This is Egypt. It's Turkey, you know, many countries. There's like over 40 countries that have passed legislation in the past few years restricting foreign funding and restricting the activities of foreign NGOs because they realize that is an easy way to control their civil society space. Mm -hmm. So actually, I think China has kind of come late to this. They've been learning from other countries, but it's taken them a while to catch up with some of these other countries. And then again, in terms of what it means for NGOs that are doing more sensitive work, I think it will take time to to see how the implementation goes. But I I don't think we should simply assume that the door has closed. I think we should assume that, in fact, the door is open the public security has opened their door, uh, and we should see that as a way to work with public security on shaping this uh, the implementation of the law. Because as we know in China, there you know, there's many laws. There's many so-called good laws, the problem is those laws don't get implemented and enforced. I mean, this is the kind of work that China Labor Bolton does. We make sure that laws like the labor law and the trade union law and labor dispute law, that these laws are implemented and enforced. So, you know, now we have this new law and suddenly people think, oh, it's going to be implemented to the letter. But in fact, that's not true. I mean, this is China. In China, you know, it takes a long time to <laughs> to make these laws... Actually, work as they're intended. It's a process, uh, and it requires working with a lot of different stakeholders to make sure that uh, it's carried out well. So, again, I think we should, we need to see this as the beginning of a, a process, and not the end.
1: Sean, thanks a lot for your analysis. That was Sean Hsieh, Deputy Director of China Labor Bulletin in Hong Kong and an expert on Chinese civil society. Thanks for listening. I'm Ruth Kirchner. Bye for now.
0: You have been listening to Merix Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merix.org.